0: Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio, Brian Moritz. As We are back after a week hiatus. The semester started. We're past Labor Day. Brian is no longer wearing white. And I feel like we're kind of on the route, unfortunately, to autumn at this stage. Not my favorite time of the year. Brian, what's your perspective?
1: I mean – For one thing, I I should say, um, I think the audience is missing out now that we record this, uh, just audio without video, not being able to see my smooth dance moves during the intro music. Um, but also, um, I mean, we've been over this, you're wrong. The one, our one actual like area of fundamental disagreement is that fall is the best season and, um, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We finally had a couple of it, it was funny. We had some classic upstate New York weather variants this this past week, like Tuesday, Wednesday. It was 95 with like 100 percent humidity. And uh, today it was 52 and raining. So um, we uh, we we have we, we we see all seasons here, but now it's getting toward fall and. Um, I'm back teaching some of us, you know, one of the one of the ones not lucky enough to be on sabbatical this semester. So um, part of the problem is, is, again, my teaching routine, we get our schedules uh, back in shape. But um, but you're living sabbatical life, which is pretty good. I, I have no clue what sabbatical
0: life actually is. <laughs> I'm still working quite a bit like I, I, I think. I'm just doing it wrong, and, and that's fine. I, I accept that. That's probably my fault. But, well, uh, it's I, been, a pretty, been a pretty busy first four weeks of, of a semester. I mean, I'm not teaching – and so I'm not having to grade and that's nice, but everything else has been pretty much busier than normal, I would say.
1: Well, I, I I'm guessing like, that's one of those things that like, it's kind of like f- for junior faculty, like when you don't have tenure yet and you think of tenure as like this great goal and like everything is good once you get tenure and you realize it's just the job, um, just right. with a different title. I'm, I think sabbaticals like that, where it's like, oh, I'm still working and doing all this stuff. I just don't have to like be on campus. Don't, I mean, you are with your job, but like without teaching, without teaching it's like sabbatical is this holy grail except for the fact that it's probably way more work than normal
0: yeah no it's uh it's funny because i think i mean if you do it right you i mean i can't complain too much because you get time off you're not as pressured it's but a lot of it's like how am i going to spend my time this week and i i mean i've got i do a lot of service and a lot of work with students and and that doesn't stop just because i'm not on campus for class, I do a lot of stuff outside of class, so that's part of it. But uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where the whole idea of sabbatical in general just it's so it's such a, a, a an academia specific thing. Like it's hard to even translate that to to the average person. I was telling my college roommate about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you got you you really hardworking academic folks. You're just kind of sitting around." I'm like, "No, it's not really how it works, but it certainly sounds like it." So I, I can't really it's like the concept of tenure. Like that's hard to get across to people.
1: Right. My wife was actually talking a while ago. Like she said how much she would love, like how valuable, like in the workplace, like in the private sector, not academia, like, sabbaticals could be like think about like you you know like you basically get six months paid off to you know in in academia it's to do research to do creative work whatever but basically you just kind of get six months to like do something cool and like reset your life a little bit like like you know it's one of those dsa topics that i'm that that you know i'm surprised hasn't come up in any of the primaries or any of the, the elections but it just seems like that could be a you know you know it would destroy capitalism but it would also be a potentially kind of cool thing i think for people but
0: i don't think it would destroy capitalism i mean i know people like to you know like like to you know pretend that that all of europe is this like socialist paradise but there's some very very capitalistic economies in western europe that provide a significant amount of time off for people to go do things and we look at that and like oh those people don't work hard and it's like now they they they're, they seem to be doing just fine from a GDP perspective. Like it's right. you know they're not like the cost not not like their standard of living's gone through the floor or anything like that. So right. no, it's just America is this weird, wonderful but but kind of bizarre amalgamation of you know whoever can shout the loudest about what work ethic is supposed to be is is the one that gets to rule the day. It's it's a very strange patchwork of things. So definitely, I don't know. Anyway. We had some topics we wanted to get to. To be honest with you folks, neither Brian nor I are particularly excited about most of the topics that are dominating the sports media conversation right now. We're not really excited about delving into this Serena Williams tennis controversy. We're not really particularly interested in talking about you know, the any of the, the general controversies surrounding the National Football League. And, and, you know, Brian, feel free to jump in and, and if I've misrepresented your attitude on any. of,
1: Oh, these oh no. I'm, I, I mean, it, I, I, I guess maybe, you know, I, I would say n- not so much disinterested is I don't know if we have anything new to add that hasn't already been widely said and said well by commentators, especially on the Serena Williams thing and the NFL. Um, You know,
0: I do, I do believe on the on the Serena Williams thing within 24 hours, every possible stance was published as an op-ed in a major uh, news outlet yeah, or that, or at the very least was was condensed into like a a 20 tweet thread uh, by by at least four or five different sports writers on every continent.
1: Yeah, that was remarkable how quickly that all came together. Um, yeah. but um but no, I mean, you know, what can we say that hasn't been articulated very well by others? You know, what can we say about the uh, the start of the NFL season? I know we're going to talk a little bit about kind of it in general but you know what can we say except you know i think i hope nathan peterman makes a heck of a sourdough or something like that wow um, yeah because i mean i i had a moment tonight we're recording this monday night and uh when sam darnold for the jets his first pass was a pick six for uh for going the other way and i'm like wow nathan peterman's not the worst quarterback and nathan peterman's still the worst quarterback he's still so, the worst yeah. oh my god yeah. um that he's was bad. He's no, no, he's not bad. He's he's there, there. There's levels beyond bad that this guy that that this guy is. I mean, that's that's
0: how who, who who are who are the the worst quarterbacks that you've seen in NFL history?
1: Oh, good question. I mean, Nathan Peterman's top, not very high on that list. I mean, I've got Jesus, I'm a Bills fan. So let's see. Jeff Toole, um, Thad Brown. I think Thad Brown was a quarterback. Um
0: This Jeff is. is is Nathan Peterman better than Alex Van Pelt?
1: Oh, God, no. Van Pelt was fine. I mean, he was usually the third stringer um, at the end of the Super Bowl era for the Bills. And then Van Pelt, he was – he started a, a little bit in the – post. I mean, who hasn't started for the Bills in the post-Kelly era? But um, but no, and, and at least he's kind – I mean, he was on radio, so he's kind of colorful. Like, he's kind of, you know, kind of interesting. I mean, Nathan Peterman is like like a – like a sack of flour. I mean, he's just so ugh, I don't know. I trying to think of a worse quarterback. And just bad, not like bad relative to expectations. So like Ryan Leaf might be worse, but he had talent. He was just like overhyped or whatever. Um same with like a Jeff George situation on that, but I can't think of someone who's just given multiple chances at, at playing and is just that bad i mean he had a zero rating yesterday 0.0 it is it it it, it was pretty remarkable i mean uh you know i mean mean, who's the worst quarterback you've ever seen nfl
0: that's a really good question um i mean because because again it's one of those situations where like you said can you really you have to separate who flamed out versus you know because of x y or z you know versus who was the the actual worst um and that's a tough thing to say i mean you gotta say johnny Manziel is up there yeah like you know th- i mean this idea of uh, you know he was just so far out of out of the realm of what you would expect a starting quarterback to be able to do and he just could do none of those things and for as hyped as he was I mean to some degree I just just I I think he's got to be up there. Um I'm I'm thinking back other guys who who would flash to mind. I mean, you know, uh, David Klingler was really terrible. Mm, he was bad. Akili Smith was really terrible.
1: Basically anybody from
0: the Bills, Bengals or Browns for like Rick a really- was really terrible. Um Marcus Russell, I mean, mm, like yeah. I, I would out of that group I might say Akili Smith because if I remember correctly he he started eleven games one year, and that was the most and um and he just couldn't throw the ball like he could run the ball somewhat well, but he just had it was it was unable to get the ball where it needed to get to right and I mean there have been bad Colts quarterbacks, certainly, but nobody nobody that bad
1: yeah by the way it was uh thad uh thad lewis was the guy i was thinking of not thad brown um one of the uh the multiple bills starting quarterback years um okay um and you know that only his family members and tortured bills fans would would remember um but uh but that kind of gets us at one of the topics we were we were we were kicking around and it's this idea that um So football, you know, this past weekend was the opening weekend of the NFL. And, you know, it seemed, I think... Relatively controversy free. I mean, there was no big anthem blow up. There were two guys from the Dolphins. I'm sorry, I don't know their names who knelt for the anthem, and it was then
0: lightning th- struck and the the game was
1: postponed eight hours. Sorry, uh- <laughs> I mean they played it in Florida. What do you expect? Um, but also, but so there was that. But like Trump didn't tweet that or anything like that. It just kind of happened and and uh, and and flew under the radar. I don't believe there were any of the egregious. Uh, like, you can't hit anybody penalties. There were a couple here and there, but it didn't seem to be like it was in the preseason where every game brought like 10 of these hits that everyone got upset about. It just kind of like, yeah, there were a couple that were borderline or not good calls, but there were bad calls like you have in an NFL game. And it was funny because you mentioned this is the topic, but, you know, for the past year, especially and maybe going back a little bit more, we've had this narrative that uh, that football was dying and like the NFL was too big and it was kind of falling and like it was fall of Rome for the NFL, you know, with CTE and concussions and all these controversies and that. Um, But, you know, you know, you can kind of go, you know I'd like your thoughts on this as well, but it just kind of seems like the NFL is just kind of going along and going along, and and it's not nothing's really changing on that.
0: Before we jump into that, I would like to quote uh, from Akili Smith's oh, Pro Football it. Reference page: <laughs> uh, seventeen games started, twenty-two games played overall, three and fourteen record. Forty forty six point six 46.6 percent completion percentage that that's not good five touchdowns
1: 13 interceptions that's um i mean as a shooting percentage she's a it's pretty good for a backcourt guy but <laughs> yeah
0: so let's let's set that as the benchmark and see what we can do as far i mean rick meyer who i mentioned earlier had a 53.3 percent career percentage and won 24 games um, yeah even even david klingler if you look at his lifetime stat actually he might be worse he's he's got a better completion percentage 54.2% but he was 4 and 20 uh for Ooh, that's for his not career good. starting percentage uh, 16 touchdowns 22 interceptions i still think akili smith's probably the worst in that group just just for comparison nathan peterman um 43.3 so far,
1: Yeah, forty three point three completion percentage, two hundred seventy six yards, two touchdowns, the seven ints, and a twenty five point seven passer rating. But that's only three starts, parts of three. Yeah, three starts, three. I don't think he has yet to play a full NFL game. Yeah, in three starts. So So that's yeah. We'll we'll keep an eye
0: on this as we go forward. But no, to, to to pick up on back on what you were saying, I think. You know, we we heard like three years ago, I remember reading the first article, probably in the Atlantic, about how, you know, we we've seen peak football and it's all going to be downhill from here. And, you know, concussions and the fear of concussions were going to drive suburban children, you know, out of the game because their moms weren't going to let them play. And interest was going to plummet among people with a college degree. And, you know, it was going to become like boxing has become where it's basically – the, you know, it's, it's the way out of poverty for people who are living in poverty. But other than that, it's, it's going to lose its place in the American architecture uh, of society. And it's going to be replaced by sports that are less physically damaging and, and less morally imperiled. And, you know, I watched the first week of the NFL. I watched the first two weeks of college football. We saw some bad hits. You know, we saw some guys get carted off. We saw some plays where you just were like, oh, my God, is that guy going to live? We we saw some anthem controversy, although not a whole lot. And all I heard was, wow, it's great to have football back again. Everybody was excited to have football back again. And I just think it's a fascinating narrative because, you know, to some degree, I feel like the current state of American political commentary is that – we really believe that we can will our desires into existence just by speaking them if you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i feel like for some people there's been this this idea that oh football's no longer socially acceptable therefore we're going to talk about how it's no longer socially acceptable and it's just going to magically disappear from the, the the you know the societal uh, you know parameters that we like to set for ourselves and yet quite the contrary you know, from a ratings perspective and from a, a very unscientific, oh, are people excited about this online perspective and from an attendance perspective, it's still doing pretty darn well. It's doing a lot better than most of its sports contemporaries. You know, I mean, as, as someone tweeted out, you know, the you know, the Thursday night football game, which was, you know, it was an OK matchup, but it was a Thursday night game. It still had a better rating than the highest rated NBA finals game from this past summer. So, you know, you're you're talking about a significant difference in scale as far as importance and as far as what people like to watch. So I looked at that and I said to myself, you know, maybe this is something we should be exploring. This idea that football, you know, far from dying is actually doing just fine. And this idea that, that you know, the, the things that we should be theoretically horrified about in football, whether it's concussions or whether it's um, you know, the way that the the labor structure is set up at the end of the day, you know, you know I, I feel like it was kind of people thought that all of these things were going to be like when we found out about smoking tobacco in the 90s, like we're going to talk about, oh, it's gonna, it causes cancer and this and that and it, it increases your chances of emphysema and people were going to walk away in mass, which if you remember, they didn't do that then either. Like right. it took 25 years. For smoking to suddenly become out of vogue. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
1: No, it's it's a really good point. And I think it, it, interestingly enough, speaks to this kind of a larger cultural point, you know, and 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 I kind of related to some of political journalism and political um, punditry with uh, President Trump. And by that, I mean, like it's felt to me since. Trump announced his candidacy with the Mexicans are rapists and whatever press conference three years ago. God, it's only been three years. But anyway, three years ago, and uh, it it seems like there's a certain type of journalist slash pundit slash observer slash whatever. Is always on the lookout for, well, this is the thing that's going to sink him. This is the thing that's going to make his make people not support him anymore, make his supporters go away. Like, I think the earliest thing you saw with that was when uh, he Trump first insulted McCain, the whole I like my heroes who aren't captured or whatever. And like, well, this is going to do it. And it didn't. And so there's this weird kind of magic bullet that like, okay, what's the thing that's going to sink him? And like that doesn't e- exist. It's kind of like the, uh, it, it's kind of like you know a weird Gary Hart phenomenon where like, hey, we found him out and Jacques and and you go down, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. I don't know if it doesn't work that way anymore. If it's a but or if it like never really worked that way and just kind of felt like it did. But like what you're describing with the NFL is it is kind of that. Like we have all these data points that are like, Hey, it sounds like the NFL is not a great thing, you know, CTE. And, you know, I think this really started not just with CTE and co- the concussion stuff, but with the domestic violence stuff. I mean, this was after Ray out of Ray rice and the Greg Hardy situation, uh, stuff and all that. And, um, now you add in all the Anthem controversies about that. And yeah, I mean, and, and it almost feels like, you know, all the hysteria that there was about ratings being down. Well, ratings are down across the board for everything, as we've belabored on podcasts like this and in spaces like ours for a very long time. Like ratings are generally across the board down for almost everything. Um, And, you know, maybe the NFL isn't isn't having this enormous growth anymore, but I do feel like it's kind of stabilized. And, you know, it has that um that kind of place in our sporting culture And you know, like yesterday I was I watched most of that atrocity of a Bills Ravens game and I wasn't watching really close. I mean there was nothing to see. It was by the time we got home from a movie it was already fourteen nothing. But um you know, it's back like I had it on. It's, a, it's like the background thing that you kind of have on and you look up and you do other stuff and you 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 have it on. And football is really well suited for that. It's it's a sport that I feels is works well in that way. And yeah, people like the NFL, people play fantasy football. So they're super invested in it. And now all of a sudden, you know, I think it's helped when you have Aaron Rodgers back and having that big game last night and uh, the big comeback. And uh, like there's some star power again. Um, I do think the one thing that could the only thing that could potentially may I don't even think hurt the NFL, but it does seem like a lot of the big stars are people who've been around for like 10 years now. Um, But I mean, you do have, you know, young, younger stars coming up or relatively younger compared to like the Brady's and the Rogers and stuff like that. But it does. It does feel kinda like all the yelling people do about football is kinda like, yeah, it's bad. Okay, but football's on. And like that's such it's a really powerful allure for people. So well and I mean football is kinda
0: like fried chicken in that it's a comfort food. If 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 there was a chance for a sport to be a comfort food, there is something that is more satisfying About sitting there and watching a football game than there is about sitting there and watching a basketball game. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a greater, in my opinion at least, there's a greater flow in the game to football. There's
1: a greater, right? There's a greater flow in the game. The fact that it's the weekend, so like there's a basketball game, but you know, a lot of them are during the week. So it's at night, you know, you're kind of watching after work or, or whatever And football. Like, yeah, there's the rhythm to it. There's the it's three hours on a Saturday if it's college or Sunday, if it's the pros I and mean, you don't necessarily have other pressing stuff to do. I'm sorry, I cut you off. On that.
0: No, and I was gonna say much like fried chicken. I think a lot of people realize intrinsically that football is not good in the traditional sense. It's not like it's good for you. It's 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 not like by watching it, you're making the world a better place, which to some degree, I feel like the NBA, perhaps a little too earnestly acts like when you watch the NBA, you're making the world a better place. Right. Um, But, but people watch, you know, the the people eat fried chicken, even when they're not supposed to, because they like how it tastes and it makes them feel good. People watch football because it makes them feel good. And there's a certain, it's like a cultural currency that kind of runs through a bunch of different maybe maybe most of the cultures in the US and that might be the thing that's most interesting about football is like how woven into the fabric of almost every culture in the United States it is you know i mean certainly there are some exceptions but it's obviously it's present in northern culture it's present in southern culture it's present in western culture it's present in in you know traditional like wasp you know culture it's it's you know certainly prevalent in in catholic Culture and, and, you know, Southern Protestant culture and black culture and, you know, Hispanic culture. Like it's really it's there's very few places that football doesn't penetrate. And I don't really think you can say that about most of the other sports out there right now in the United States. Like there, there's something that limits the participation of a major part of the American tapestry in almost every other sport except for football.
1: Right. And I mean, it gets the pageantry, right? It gets like the big and and, and it gets scarcity, right? Like there's only 16 games. So like there's a there's that limited aspect of it I do want to get to the game the, the fantasy aspect of it because yeah. I think that's a that's a that's a valuable part of it and it kind of relates to another kind of topic related to this that we' were, we, that we had mentioned um, and this is the first NFL season since the Supreme Court held that uh, gambling can be le- states can determine whether uh, gambling on sports is legal can they get I- on the flip side? Oh God, I hope so. I mean, um,
0: is there is there like an over under on the number of times that you're going to mention the Avit brothers in a given podcast?
1: <laughs> or yeah, or something like that. Or like how often I hit the thing on my microphone, something like that. That's the over you want to take. Okay. Um, but um, but but the other so. Um, this was I remember a spate of columns that came out after this ruling came out and it was like how sports media was about to change forever. And this is like the all caps change forever, like legalized gambling was going to revolutionize and change fundamentally sports media and sports journalism and the type of information that we were going to have to give uh, give readers and the type of information readers were going to demand and all this stuff. And And I don't know. I don't feel like anything's changed. Do you? I mean, I almost forgot gambling was legal in others that the gambling was legal. I feel like, you know, so much of this was tied up in, you know, first of all,
0: for, for you know, for, for reasons that have long since gone extinct in this country, there was this idea that, you know, honest, hardworking Americans didn't gamble and didn't want to hear anything (laughs) about gambling, which were always just tremendously parochial and outdated concepts and ideas to begin with. Like, you know, gambling has always been the currency of the common man in almost every society on earth, like going back through history. And, you know, the lack of gambling on sports, at least the lack of official, officially recognized and legally sanctioned gambling in the United States was, you know, it was it was generally the, you know, the result of a bunch of people with relatively puritanical attitudes about these things who got into positions of power and made the rules
1: and well and it was also just really quick i think it was also much more about making sure that game a fear of games being fixed and of athletes gambling on that and it trickled down into we don't want to talk about gambling as a league
0: well but then but then it also trickled down into oh you know as journalists we're not even going to provide the lines you know, right. which for a long time, that's what it was. And we've heard, you know, several people on ESPN, whether Bill Simmons has talked about it and, you know, Scott Van Pelt has talked about it. And this idea, you know, back not that long ago, 15 years ago, people wanted to start putting lines in their columns in, in you know, on page two or whatever. And it was like a big thing. And it was like, well, we can't do that. And, you know, it just it's always made me wonder, like, why? What what was the big deal here in the first place? And, you know, if if your argument was, oh well, it's illegal. Okay, well, I don't... I mean, it's illegal in the same way that, like, you know, kids drinking underage is illegal or people smoking marijuana is illegal. It's like, yeah, it's illegal. And, like, the vast majority of your audience is still doing it. So, you know, acting like it doesn't exist seems like a questionable stance to be taking if you're really looking at things from an objective perspective. Um, Right. You know, and so, yeah, I'm with you. I, I look at it and I say... No, very little has changed other than everybody's now trying to rush to get on the corner because they realize that, hey, yeah, gambling's actually pretty popular. And, you know, something we've talked about for a long time, maybe not you and me on this podcast, but I think we've mentioned it before uh, in conversation with each other. The the idea that people watch sports solely because they love sports and just love competition that doesn't really happen for most people. There's certainly some people that it happens with, but I think that if you're in sports media of any sort, you realize at some point that a large section of your audience, if they're watching the games, they're watching largely because there's a gambling interest. You know, um, you know whether whether it's something like oh, I'm specifically betting betting on these teams, or whether it's I've got a fantasy football team that I've got money on, or I'm in an in a eliminator pool, like, you know, even things that we've kind of trained ourselves to not think of as gambling. I mean, it's still gambling. It's still it's all part right. of it's all part of the same ecosystem.
1: Right. Yeah. Like the uh the the knockout pool that you have at work that you all everyone throws five bucks in for the season. Like that yeah, that's as much gambling as anything, you know, betting whatever the line is on a game or, you know, placing individual bets or something like that. And same as fantasy football. And, you know, I think I think that is, you know, one of the secrets of the NFL success is that gambling option, that 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 gambling connection, you know, whether it's fantasy football, knockout pools, you know, picks whatever. You know that. You know it's the same reason the NCAA tournament is probably is the most popular part ah. of the uh, of college. That's why the, Super-, the, why the Super
0: Bowl is the most watched sporting event on the planet, or not on the planet, but at least in the United States. You know, it's it's not because right. people really love football that one day. It's because. And there's something for you everybody to gamble on
1: yes and you gotta you, you get a square and it that's an it, that's a really interesting kind of discussion is kind of what we sp- use the collective we and you can use it individually what we define as gambling versus what we don't define as gambling and there's this like i feel like there's this like definition of gambling that's like you know the cd and you're, you're in a casino or you're running numbers with ray liotta on the street corner and you're like you know betting you know the the, the different lines on something like that but you don't mm-hmm. think of the Super Bowl, uh, the, the get, buying a square as gambling, right. like that's that separate. Well, you know, the definitely the IRS certainly it. does, but anyway, go right, yeah. right. Well, we declare all our winnings; we are above board in our in our, in, in, in everything that we do here on the flip side financially. Everything, um, everything. But no, it, it's just yeah. You know, I, I just I found that so dubious when I uh when when the can when the ruling came down about gambling, how this was like the thing that was going to change sports media, and I was just like. I don't know. I feel like, you know, maybe it's going to be a little bit more overt. Like people won't be, it won't do like the Brett Musburger thing or the Al Michaels, like sly little introduction of a, of a, of a, of a point spread thing at the end. But in general, I mean, the, like the line like I was every, I page I ever put together in newspapers 10, 20 years ago, had the latest line in it for each, uh, uh for each sport. By the way, do you know how to read the line in anything but football?
0: Yeah, I do. I, I used to actually teach this as a module in my classes back in like the really? late 2000s. Yes. I, my perspective. Okay. Was,
1: so what's hockey hockey. I never understood the line in hockey.
0: Well, I mean, I'd, I'd have to look specifically at what you're talking about. Okay. You
1: know? All um, right. Let me find it while you, uh, I'll send it in the super, in, in our secret. Yeah. S- the super uh, secret yeah, chat. Yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah. and I
1: will, uh, I would be
0: happy to try to break it down for you. So, so how did you teach it? So, well, right. Exactly.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I, no, I'm asking. like, how did you use use well, uh, my, use it as a mic? Mod- oh, I'm
0: sorry, I, I I didn't realize that was a question. my my philosophy has always been whether I was teaching sports marketing or whether I was teaching sports media is that you need to like th- this is such a a huge part of the way that sports works. and acting like it doesn't exist doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Whether you're working in sports or whether you're covering sports, you need to know how the lines work, what they mean. Like most people don't even understand what a point spread is, like what, what, right. what a point spread actually represents. Do you know what it represents?
1: Um, the point spread, uh, I, I'm on a cheat site, but I'm going to say no because I want to hear your explanation okay. for it. So I would get basically the, the amount that the favorite team is expected to win. That's by. not correct. That's what right. everybody I th- knew it wasn't, but I was yeah. I, yeah. that's what
0: everybody thinks it is. What it actually is is the equilibrium point at which the casino yep. is able to get equal wagers on both sides or right. as close to it as they can. Because at the end of the day, the casinos they're they're or the whatever, the sports books, they're making money on the percentage that they're collecting off the betters, not off of who wins or who loses. Like the so so these are the sorts of things that I felt it was important for students to know. And, you know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but certainly hopefully it helped prepare them for the the day when it all became legal.
1: Right. No, that makes sense. And and, and yeah, I mean, that's the uh, the nature of like why the point spread, I think, is important to to know, even like if you're looking at games, not as a gambler, because like how can they 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 say that you know x team is favorite at home over a team with a better record and yeah because they're trying to that they're trying to balance out their books they're trying to get people to bet one way or the other so that so that it that it's an equal thing so and it always cracked me up when they were like so against leagues were so against uh legalized gambling well, when every point shaving scandal you know be and the ostensibly the reason was for like uh, uh, what competitive balance like so games aren't fixed or whatever um, throwing games or whatever when any sports point shaving scandal you read about Vegas is the one that discovered it because somebody starts betting way too much on a random game and Vegas will pull a pull a point spread or the spread starts moving Vegas pulls it because it's like weird activity happening and that's how you discover stuff.
0: I'm not going to say anything here because. Do it. it, Do it. Do it.
1: You have tenure. You can say anything. No, I have knees that I would like to have not broken. Oh great now that's gonna be a good show- good story for the after show um so uh, our other topic uh that, that we had that we had talked about oh this is a, so this is my my hypothetical then we'll get to your twitter rant um or rant about Twitter I should say so this is the hypothetical question um who would you rather have uh read a book about you Bob Woodward or Michael Wolfe? and I'm not putting Omarosa in in inclusion that's sad I feel sad for Omarosa um, is, I, I
0: i I would uh I would rather have Michael Wolfe write the book about me because even though it would likely be about 98% accurate, bitchy people in the media would act like the whole thing was inaccurate and would talk it down. (laughs) Yes. Whereas the exact same amount might be inaccurate in the Bob Woodward book, but everybody would act like it was the gospel truth.
1: Right. Exactly. you know, Wolf might dig up more, more stuff on you, but he has less credibility so you can deflect more where anything, I mean, Woodward, the only advantage of him writing a book about you was, is in some level, it's going to be fair. It's not going to make you look good, but he's not, he's not a scorched earth, blow up the bridge kind of guy like Michael Wolf is. Um, But yeah, Wolf, you can discredit easier. I think he's the answer that you're going to want to have here. I mean- I, so. I just, obviously, if either of them is writing a book about you.
0: They're, they're, it's like when Jim can't, it's like
1: if Jim Cantore is in right. your town for yeah. weather, you
0: just yeah. that's, yeah. that's definitely is one of those deals where the, the problem has already existed. Like you're just, you're just, you're, you're, you're basically dealing with magnitude as opposed to whether the problem exists <laughs> at that stage.
1: Right. So, uh, your, our, our, our other topic that we wanted that you wanted to talk about, um, I'm just gonna i I'm just gonna put the ball on the tee and uh, walk away and let you hit, t- take this about three thirty down the fairway. Uh, the Twitter algorithm oh, it sucks.
0: It's it's so okay. I don't remember.
1: Oh, and it's curving nicely, and you got oh, you set yourself I, up beautiful for for two. I for don't two.
0: remember it being this bad. Like I've had problems with the Twitter timeline algorithm for a while now, and it's gotten like exponentially worse over the course of the last year. So it used to be that you, your Twitter timeline was just chronological and it was just the people that you followed. And then they mucked around with it and it made it so it wasn't always chronological. You'd have some promoted ads pop in, but it was generally you could still kind of keep track of what was going on. Then they started letting you know things that your friends liked that you weren't following pop up in your timeline. And now that's the worst. No, I I think the worst is now like yesterday. I posted this on Twitter. Um, You know, I I took a a snapshot of my Twitter feed at like 550 yesterday, and it was the, the four tweets that were there. There was one that was five hours old from a writer that was covering the brickyard. And was still at the brickyard because it had been canceled yesterday. There was one that was 22 hours old about a football game that had taken place the previous night. There was one that was 59 seconds old from Stephen A. Smith, with that's a whole other set of concerns. And then, <laughs> and then there was one from 23 hours ago about the football game that both both writers covering the same football game. And you know, it's like if you and this is the thing, like if you follow sports people who cover games as it as they happen if you cover news people that cover any sort of topical news the algorithm has basically become unusable because things that happened yesterday that have no pertinence whatsoever anymore because they were in the moment have now popped up on your timeline when they don't need to and it's just like you know the 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 whole argument for using twitter for news was that it was an instantaneous sort of deal where i tweet it people see it and then it goes away and we replace it with more pertinent material as that comes up. And now the algorithm itself is digging up n- no longer pertinent material and forcing you to see it all over again.
1: Right. And it's doing this throughout the day, too. Like, it's not just like you, you wake up and you check Twitter or first thing you check it during the day. You have that like while you were gone section and it's a specific session, usually like what? five, six tweets or something. And it's usually people, you know, it's old stuff, but it's usually people who you, for me, at least tends to be people I interact with a lot. Like you'll be up there, friends of other friends of mine, authors, writers, like people who I have interacted with, liked retweeted, corresponded with on Twitter. And OK, that's not always super useful, but at least that's kind of like the good summary of, hey, I've been away from this for eight hours. OK, like I sleep eight hours, six hours. And uh, and, and this is what has happened since then. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, it's completely out of whack. The um, the worst is and we're going to see this coming this week, I bet, when, when there is a, a weather incident or a wet, like a real bad storm or something going on with the weather. So we're going to see it this week when the hurricane uh, coming to the East Coast. When you see not only people retweeting and liking weather sur- update like weather service updates from not your area, which is always confusing as hell. Um, but now you're going to see outdated weather forecasts popping into your timeline because of the algorithm or because somebody liked it or whatever. And that's just. I mean, that gets into a dangerous situation. Now, if you're if you're seeing old forecasts or outdated information at a time and a a platform where you need updated safety information. I mean, that goes from frustrating to a a public safety issue. But, yeah, I don't I don't understand why I don't understand. I've never met. So these people have to exist. But I, I have never met somebody who likes the algorithm timeline versus the the, Chron- the, the, the chronological, the reverse, the, the reverse chronological timeline. I mean, Instagram's kind of famous for having mucked it up by doing that. um But they're Facebook and Facebook's weird anyway. But yeah, Twitter, like the whole and at least with Instagram, it's it's less real time, more photo based. So if I see somebody's photos from 21 hours ago well maybe i haven't seen it and it they're still on the beach or whatever you know they the, the photo it, it it works okay on that on that platform but in twitter yeah twitter is like real time you know real time information the old thing what are you doing right now what's happening in the world right now and now it's just i don't I don't get it. I don't understand. Is it a time on site? Is it an engage trying to get you to engage more with it? I don't. They have to have a reason for doing it. Well,
0: I think their reason is they believe like the, the whole hang up with Twitter that was keeping people from signing up was from what I remember. They couldn't get new users integrated into the site easily because when they got there, they had no clue who to follow. And they didn't see anything other than what the, pe- the small number of accounts that they started to follow were following. And then they made sure. changes. But what they ended up doing was they they ended up kind of making it so that if you used it a certain way, if you were kind of a power user of Twitter before, or at the very least a competent user of Twitter who had a curated list of people that you followed, you know, mm-hmm. suddenly your way of doing it was no longer valid and and, and usable. And it ended up with your timeline being this cacophony of information because this, ultimately the algorithm is not designed for you. It's designed for the recently hatched egg that only follows 50 or so accounts because those, right. that's the growth in the eyes of the corporation. That would be my guess. I don't think it's a good policy, but right. I think that's the policy that they follow.
1: Well, no, and it, and, it, and it was, I guess, you, you're trying to make it more palatable to the to the new users, to the non-power users uh, or something like that. But I'm looking at my Twitter feed right now. Like, I have a tweet from five minutes ago that was retweeted by someone I follow. Okay, fine. Uh, one minute ago, one minute ago, four hours ago, that's uh, a tweet that somebody had liked. And it's somebody I already, uh, the tweet was from Bomani Jones. So it's somebody I already follow. So there's a chance I saw that tweet and I'm now seeing it again because somebody liked it a tweet from september a tweet thread from september 9th uh which people have like two minute, and then two minutes ago 14 hours ago tweet like two minutes ago eight minutes it's there's no it's it's you know,
0: it it's, really, it's 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 it, completely it is, impossible yeah. to follow i know it
1: almost om- yeah it, and it almost does kind of feel like that that the the recipe blog thing you know where they like have the 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 600 word essay on why this chicken is so good before you get to the recipe so that they can increase the time you spend on the site and make themselves more valuable. It really does in a way feel like Twitter's doing that with this and in a way to kind of like okay, you kind of got to get your you you can't scan through really quick to see what's going on. You've got to kind of spend time on it. It's just it's I mean, of all the things that makes Twitter awful, this has got to be in the top three because because it makes it You're right. It makes it kind of uh, unusable for the good that um, for it it does away with the good of Twitter, which was, hey, this is a snapshot of what's happening this second in the world. And now it's just it's becoming Facebook.
0: I think that says it all. I don't I don't know that we need to add any more. But yeah, no, it's I I don't know. I mean, name me a social network that you're satisfied with at this point in your life.
1: Oh, Jesus. I mean, that's a, I mean, maybe Instagram, but I'm not, but I'm more, it's it's less that I'm, I guess, satisfied is the right answer. Like I'm not super thrilled with it. I do think it's interesting what's going on there potentially in the journalism space, but I'm not, (laughs) Instagram is the one social network that I'm not like actively mad at most days. Like I get on Facebook, I'm actively mad at it. I got on Twitter, I'm actively mad at it. So, I guess by default, I, I, am not mad at Instagram. So that wins, which is a glowing endorsement of any social network. I mean, what about you? Does anyone work for you in these days?
0: No. And you know, more you know, like increasingly, I just, I don't get much out of the experience because yeah. what gets elevated on my Twitter feed, I feel like is largely people. I don't want to hear from, uh, who's, whose who's commentary and perspectives I'm not particularly interested in. And, even muting those people does not seem to change the fact that those types of opinions and those types of commentaries seem to constantly find their way into my feed. Um, and that's a problem. Facebook, obviously, I mean, it's there, and you know it's it's you know, but but i've I've discovered that I'm not getting messages from certain people on there, at least not seeing things that they're posting on their own feeds. And when I go back and look and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I wish I'd seen that. I would have much rather had that than the people that I am following. Like it's almost right. – yeah, and same thing with Instagram. Like they're too reactive. It's like when I see one interesting thing that a person that I would normally never click on posts something and I look at it. And then a Facebook immediately decides that that's the person I want to see everything from. And it's like, right. no. Like just – no. I don't I, – that's not how, that's not how yeah. it's supposed to work. And, uh, right. you know, it's – uh it's funny because I just I, – I'm I, – as much as I've used social media, I feel like algorithmically these companies are backing themselves into a corner that they can't get out of because they're they, they just – they're taking what should be a pretty straightforward method of information, communication and delivery and scrambling it to basically unrecognizable extremes and I just don't see the benefit. of right. It would be like – it would be like if news sites – it, when you went to them, like took all the articles and videos that they would posted in the last week and presented them to you in a random order. And, right. or,
1: Which is basically what well, Gannett does that's anyway. That's point,
0: yes. So no, I, it's, it's disappointing. And I, I generally use social media less now than I did two years ago. And it's not because I don't like the idea of social media. It's because I don't like the algorithms that they're using.
1: Right. My wife has done something interesting in the last uh, last few weeks. A few years ago, she had started a a, a second Facebook page and like made it really, really small, like immediate, like um, family and like very, very, very close friends otherwise. And she restarted it recently and she has like, I don't know, 35, 40 friends on it. And, you know, she's not very active on it, but she's saying like how much better her Facebook like Facebook experience is with that, because it's base it is it's you know, it's not really algorithmically been programmed yet, but it's all people that. You know, when they post something, she doesn't. She likes hearing from it, or doesn't. Or, and they and we, none of us post a ton, so it's not like in, instead of this like weird mass of like eight hundred people or three hundred people or however many friends you have that you've kind of accumulated over your social media life. Um. And so, so yeah, I I don't know. I just I find you know I find social media less fun, less interesting, less valuable. Um. All around, like from the political opinions that I see on there, it, it just it doesn't feel wholesome is a weird word to say, but it doesn't feel wholesome. It doesn't. It, it, it feels like any benefits I get from it are ancillary to 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 the pros on it. So like like one dumb example, like I made a joke on Twitter and on Facebook yesterday, uh, I think it was around about 20 to nothing in the Bills game. I wrote, guys, I'm beginning to think the Bills might not be very good. Um, and I got a lot of comments where like, you thought they were, you, when did you think they were going to be good? I'm like, guys, the, it, it, it was not a good joke, but it was okay. still, it was still sarcasm. It was still, it 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 was, it was a joke guys. And, um, and, and, and I don't know. So I, so I feel like I'm like, oh no, I, I don't want to be here guys. That, uh, I don't know. So it's a whole lot of, I don't know. It's, it's just a whole lot of, I don't know, I guess with social media these days. So. Anyway, that's, that's that. Any other topics before we finish up? Uh, Let's see. I don't speaking of topics. I'm just rolling through my Twitter feed now and there's nothing exciting there. So, um, so So no, no, I don't think so. I think no. So we got nothing. No, that's fine. Well,
0: (laughs) we'll be back later on in September with another episode of the flip side. If you've got comments or questions for us, you can send them to us at Dr. GC or at BP Moritz. Or at Flipside Pod, that's also a good possibility to get a hold of us. Um, stay dry out there, particularly those of you in the in the uh, Carolinas. Please uh, keep an eye on the skies and uh, please get out ahead of any dangerous weather. We hope that uh, that area of the country ends up coming out of things safely.
1: Um, yeah, Definitely. So and uh and, and uh, lashana tova yes. to anybody celebrating new year's uh this week glad to, glad to have you along on
0: this this journey uh through space on on planet earth it's uh it's a fu- I, I'm always worried I'm going to get Lashana Tova wrong, so I'm always hesitant to say it. But the sentiment is certainly there on my part as
1: well. Now I I I, I always make a point to look up like the the day of uh, the day, the last class before the the high holy days. To to I, I always Google what to say on on Rosh Hashanah, what to say on Yom Kippur, because you can't. Those are two. They're not. Not only are they not interchangeable, but they're very different. So like you can't you can't mix up one for the other because then yeah. it's bad.
0: Well it's uh i remember that because i was not aware of that actually so (laughs) anyway for brian i'm galen's the flip side uh be sure to subscribe to us on itunes and other places as well we'll catch you folks on the flip side so long everybody